Welcome back to another episode of Charity Questions from the Directory of Social Change. So today we've got a guest, Jay Kennedy, and Jay Kennedy is the Director of Policy and Research for the Directory of Social Change. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a lot about research in the charity sector, some of the projects that we've completed at the Directory of Social Change, and then we're going to talk a little bit about politics and a bit more about Jay's uh, experience of working in the charity sector. So Jay is an American working overseas in the, in the UK and has been for a, a long time, and so we'll talk a little bit about research and a little bit about Jay's background as well. So welcome, Jay. Thanks, George. How Thanks long... for having me on. Yeah, welcome. How long have you been working <laughs> for the Directory of Social Change, actually? Uh, a long time. Um, coming, well, 18 years. 18 years, amazing. A, a lot of different hats during that time. I actually started out um, doing research for uh, in our kind of team in Liverpool, um, researching funding for charities and a yeah. specific project that looked at government funding. So this was all the way back in 2003. Wow. Uh, and then I kind of moved into different roles. Yeah. Eventually kind of became our kind of policy officer type person around 2007, eight, and then I've been kind of held a different bunch of different roles in that sort of area since. Fine. So when did you become the director of the policy and research team? That was about 2012, I think. So yeah, we had a, um, we just, our chief executive and board decided to reorganize DSC slightly, um, put in a bit more, slightly a bit more executive structure because we had some big projects that we needed to get done. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was part of that basically. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah, it's been the role I've always, always known you in. And so research in the charity sector, what does that, what does that play? What role does research play in the charity sector? I think it plays a lot of different roles and it depends really on what I uh, suppose what type of charity you are and mm. um, what you do. I mean, the kind of research that we do varies from things that affect kind of the, the charity sector across the piece. So the team that our, our research team in Liverpool is looking at every day, they're looking at sort of funding sources from um, foundations, companies, yeah. governments, and that's applicable to like loads of different types of charities and their work. Um, there's also kind of more cross-cutting research about the environment that charities are operating in. Um, and we've we've done lots of that in the past, mm. kind of analyzing where foundations spend their money, um, that kind of thing. But then individual charities will also want uh, research to support their own their own kind of area. And that can range from kind of maybe understanding what their members need. So, you know, kind of conducting surveys about um, what members needs are or kind of what uh, beneficiary needs are mm. all the way to looking at informing future strategies. Sometimes with funders, um, there's research about kind of grants evaluation, what impact have grants had, um, what have they achieved? So there can be a real range of different types of research and it's applicable to lots of charities. Um, I guess even, you know, even small charities may, you know, kind of do research looking at, you know, sort of local information or funding or what the local council is doing. And that's kind of maybe a bit more informal than, um, than some other types. But in general, I think it's important. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And there's so many great examples there. As a fundraiser, personally, I, I love the fact that funders want to improve their, their ability to fund, of course, and there is a lot of useful research funders can do. But you did mention small charities. So let's say I'm the CEO of a small charity or even a medium-sized charity and, I, and I'm not considering research or taking an interest in local policy. What would you recommend? I think it's important to have, you know, no matter how big or small you are, it's important, especially if you're in a leadership position, to have an understanding of the environment that you're working in. Um, you know, so for example, even if you're kind of on the local committee for a local community building, mm. it's useful to know what the local council is thinking about uh, in terms of, well, it might be things like changes to, to, uh, kind of rate reductions or all the way to you know whether the road outside is going to be paved up during when you have your fundraising event that summer even more you, you know, money becoming available sometimes pots of money becoming available for service. exactly a lot of a lot of local authorities will you know either have or be dispensing on the behalf of others um kind of very small pots of money that might be relevant to your charity so kind of maintaining a uh having that on your radar, what the local council's doing um, can be really important. It's even more important if you're working in an area which is directly impacted by the decisions they might make. So if you're a, if you're a small local health charity, you probably want to know what's going on with the sort of lo local mm. um, NHS uh, and its kind of decision making. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. It is as simple as that. Just just make, taking the opportunity and the time to reach out at a local council level uh, and see. Is, is there anything else small charities could be doing? Um, you know, if you're uh, if you're um, a, a lot of small local charities will be hooked into the local CVS, the Council for Voluntary Service, um, which is a sort of umbrella organization for local charities and. Um, they will often have, you know, even free information bulletins, sometimes as part of their kind of membership packages, That's and they true. can really help, you know, they have people who are kind of scanning that information and, and looking for that and telling you about what's the, the latest, um, uh, the latest developments. And more nationally, there's other sources of information, like, you know, for example, DSCZ newsletter will also always yeah, kind of give you perspective on the, on the national picture. That's, yeah, it's such a good point. The local CVS is such a good resource for that sort of information in the local area, isn't it? Um, so in terms of campaigning, we do a lot of campaigns at DSC, um, but the charity sector in general, how, how do you think we, we do in terms of campaigning, running campaigns? Um, I think there's a, there's a fair amount of sort of confusion about what campaigning is. And I guess the difference between what's campaigning uh, and what's kind of advocacy and what's um sort of public affairs mm. um i think the a lot of local charities are really good at campaigning they're you know they're good at kind of getting in getting the sort of movers and shakers um in the different communities kind of getting them on board sort of bringing bringing kind of their needs to the attention of you know people in the council or whatever mm. um and it really depends on I guess what the organization does and its and its style, and I suppose to some degree it's tolerance for risk. Um, if you look at, say, for the National Trust, 
a massive charity that's kind of like an institution that cuts across the whole country yeah you know for them to kind of come out and say we're a campaigning charity would probably be pretty difficult even though they're sort of getting drawn into that mm. um that sphere of public debate more and more um whereas if you're uh you know kind of friends of the local park that the council is trying to you know tarmac over to make a, a car park for the Tesco. yeah flats, whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's kind of a different question. I mean, I, I think a lot of the, the best sort of campaigning actually comes um, with the sort of environmental type charities. They've been quite, I don't know, I think successful at that kind of towing that balance, towing the line or finding the balance between. Mostly, yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Actually, it's a good one. To being vocal in public, but also trying to be constructive. Um, and so that's you know but again it'll, it'll vary between different types of organizations and different types of uh also kind of what what campaign what do you want to achieve with your campaign because that can be quite varied is it is it some a change in some legislation nationally or is it um raising awareness, public yeah. awareness about an illness it could be mm. you might need different tactics mm. Can we direct funds looking for money? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the, envir the environment charities. They, they are really strong, aren't they, in terms of their campaigning? A any other groups you think uh, are worth a mention then for their campaigning? Well, I think increasingly a lot of campaigning is, is being done not by charities. It's being done by um, sort of more loosely organized groups of activists. or um, And so there is a little bit of a... I suppose potential to learn from those mm. types of organizations and and you know thinking about the sort of ups and downsides of being a charity i mean charities are subject to a particular type of re regulation so they can't have um, political activities as a sort of primary purpose um it has to anything that they do has to be related to their charitable objects mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. kind of purpose for that they're there for so it is um in the UK, at least, charity campaigning is does have some limits, um, and and so there are questions. You know, for all kind kinds of campaigners, charity or otherwise, there are questions about how the law affects you. I mean, what what sort of vehicle is right or more yeah. effective? That's a yeah. that's a kind of big debate, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, there is a lot to learn. Even social media has been so disruptive that just following that kind of rate of change, you can achieve so much about being an organization these days which is so true um so some of the campaigns that we've run in the past uh one of them for example the big lottery refund uh is one that's re really interesting to talk about and so yeah. jay yeah can you tell our listeners what the big lottery refund campaign was about yeah in a nutshell it's about trying to get back um money that was sort of lottery funds um that were siphoned off for the 2012 olympics and getting that paid back to benefit kind of charities and community groups across the country that's in a nutshell what it is um it's a really long-term kind of campaign it started all the way back in 2007 when the government at that time decided that they were going to take all of these lottery revenues um away from sort of those sort of local groups mm -hmm. and put them into building infrastructure on the olympic park um which you know nothing against the olympics but that did have a massive effect over many years on the, the kind of pipeline of money that was available for community projects so the government has had sort of repeated commitments over many years to repay the money 
um, and it's you know it's in the hundreds of millions. Uh, it was just four hundred twenty-five million taken away from. Well, what was the big lottery fund? But not even thinking the, about it. <laughs> yeah, that was called the National Lottery Community Fund. It's been going on so long; they changed the name of the lottery distributor. <laughs> yeah. That's that that needs to be repaid. So, yeah, um, yeah it's there is a complicated deal between uh, UK government and, and the City of London and the London Legacy Development Corporation, which is in charge of the Olympic Park, to pay back the money. Um, as the assets in the Olympic Park are sold. Um, and that was the sort of deal that was agreed uh, after pressure from civil society around 2007. Um, but it's been very slow in, the, in kind of coming back. Mm. I think um, the latest figures show that around only around 150 million has sort of gone back and been realized by asset sales. And none of that so far has kind of come back to the lottery. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a it's one of those slow burn, long term things that we're trying not to let the government forget about. Absolutely, fourteen years as well is, is a long time. Is there anything charities could do in terms of building positive relationship with, with government, either at a local level or even at the national level? I think there's lots of things that you you can do, and it, again, it also depends. A lot of it depends on. Uh, what you're trying to achieve and who you're supporting. So some causes will be closer or less or further away to the, to the hearts of some types of politicians. So for example, if you're a charity that supports refugees, you might have a harder time um, kind of getting support from some political parties compared to others. Um, but I think the, what what's really important to remember is just sort of, sort of showing your value mm. uh, and and showing your commitment to the people you're serving rather than coming across as sort of organizationally self-interested and it doesn't matter whether you're local or you know a national organization you want to show the difference that you're making i mean even if you're a small local group you know and you're and you are that small charity that's looking at its car at its park being tarmacked over mm. you know that i think it's it's quite easy to think that local politicians won't care about that but actually they might really care and so it's just a question of reaching out to them trying to get them you know into a dialogue trying to trying to invite them to meet with you or see the people that you're helping because actually that that certain sort of human connection is often what will kind of get people on side yeah and we talk about it in fundraising as well like making your pitches beneficiary focused and being able to engage the community yeah that's that's true and, and working both ways in that in that sense actually helping to show them where the need is as well when you have yeah. those relationships yeah i mean a clever politician will want to know i mean some of them don't want to know anything bad they don't want to hear bad news but a clever one will want to understand what the assets are in the community and also, and not, not just the problems, they'll want to know kind of, because that's, that's, that's what they're there to do. Mm. <laughs> they're there to serve the community. It's true. Yeah. Um, so one moving slight tack back to research. And so there's one body of research that we've been working quite closely on uh, for, a, for a long time. You've been working with the Forces in Mind Trust. I know you mentioned working with funders to do some research earlier. I'm just wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about this research project uh, for Forces in Mind Trust. Yeah, we've had a really successful 
collaboration with forces of mind for approaching 10 years now mm. um and it's it kind of started off as a project to i guess interrogate the data on forces charities uh, first of all to find out how many there were and of what types because it wasn't really known before we started um and and, and just to backtrack slightly the kind of forces in mind is was set up to try to um improve the transition from for people who are in the forces into civilian life and so part of our kind of interaction with them was about growing the data the the, the sort of evidence base for what charitable services are out there and how important they are and how kind of far-reaching they are which in the uk they're quite extensive mm. there's about around about 1800 or so it's it's changing constantly but on forced charities yeah. yeah yeah which 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 sounds like kind of a lot but when you consider that they're sort of serving millions of uh not just serving personnel but um veterans um, yeah. and and also their families it's Absolutely. it's actually not and they're quite specialized many of them so the the partnership we've had with them has been about trying to create a data set of what those charities are what they do what their financial characteristics are what sorts of um, charity services they provide and as we've moved on in the relationship with them we've kind of explored different different um aspects of that charitable provision absolutely just it's such a good example of a funder trying to build awareness of the sector that they fund that part of that sector anyway at least um has there been like one key learning point for the team at dsc or for forces in mind trust during the 10 years uh, i don't know if there's one key learning point i mean the i think in terms of the collaboration and the partnership it's been there's been a lot of learning i think around how you uh how you work effectively together um mm -hmm. and and fimt have been really good um in their Fimped his forces in mind trust. Yeah, sorry, forces in mind trust have been have been very good and and sort of open in their grant making practice and they kind of how they approach um, what their side of their side of things and that's been you know kind of building that and maintaining that uh, you know whilst also making sure that everything is um, tip top and and sort of scrutinized appropriately has been a really good thing. I think that you know, really, the main finding is is just sort of how many charities they are, there are doing this work, and how kind of critically important they are. Mm. Um, sometimes they receive some, you know, criticism in the press for being too many, or you know, some some people will say, well, there's too many doing the same thing. But actually, um, they're relatively organized as a sector, and particularly the ones that provide financial support for people who have been veterans they're very um probably more organized than any other comparable area mm. in being able to triage tree kind of set up systems and triaging support from different types of funders that's interesting yeah so yeah i mean that's i was going to ask you how armed forced charities are different to other charities that seems like one way is there any other way that armed forces charities tend to be different to other charities um i think that there's probably more similarities uh, i mean obviously the the charitable structure uh means that there's there's certain things that have to be the same um depending on what kind of governing 
document they've got. I mean, there tends to be quite a lot of, as you'd expect, a lot of sort of ex-forces people in leadership positions, yeah. either as the, the CEOs or on the board. And so that that's a particular dynamic, I think, sometimes. The, um, that uh, I don't want to say it's challenging, but it can be something that, that sets them apart a little bit in that kind of um, military command structure when you come into the sort of charity world, it's not exactly the same. Mm. So I think from what I've spoken to, you know, people who, who've kind of made that transition themselves, it, it, sort of dealing with then a kind of a board of trustees is a little bit different. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So they bring a slightly different approach maybe to, I thought that was really interesting though, 1800. I'm, it does sound like a lot, but also in the context of the wider sector, it does make a lot of sense as well. And it's, Nice to just know that it's nice for the funders to have that information, especially with the deeper dives into the mental health and the housing provision and all the different subsections as well. Yeah, when you break it down into their diff the different focus areas, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not a lot. And and actually, a huge chunk of those eighteen hundred are involved in in sort of uh, regimental stuff, which is, or they might be involved in heritage. So it's kind of organizations that that people from the military are involved in as a sort of social aspect mm. it's not necessarily there's about kind of four or five hundred welfare charities who are the ones that you would kind of hear in the in the press the ones directly working yeah with the welfare needs true yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't know that that's uh no, it's been interesting and a great project for us to to run and to to learn more and use our skills actually in a specific context like that um, so looking at the policy side of the role instead of the research side of the role now, um, we, we work closely with other membership or well, with membership organisations in the charity sector and other national charities. Uh, and of course, we work closely with government as well where we can. And so a great question here from one of the team is, if you were appointing a chair for the Charity Commission, this is your job now, Jake, to appoint the chair for the next for the Charity Commission, what would you look for in, in the person you're appointing? Um, I think the first thing I would look for was for somebody who had experience running a similar sort of agency, that being number one. Yeah. So the Charity Commission is in a very unique, well, in many ways, a unique position in that it's accountable to Parliament, not a particular government department or minister, rightly so. Um, and it's it's responsible for regulating civil society, you know, kind of the activities of volunteers and volunteer trustees. So it needs to operate in a way which um, explains and enforces the law um, in a sort of um, impartial way. That's really important. And so I would be looking for somebody who had managed or had some experience managing a similar sorts of institution and also one where there were which faced a lot of pressures externally from not just the kind of um stakeholders of people that it's regulating but from politics and and the media that's what i'd be looking for number one absolutely yeah it's it's a, not an easy role is it but yeah it does tend to be a difficult one to appoint for anything else you would look for I would definitely want them to have some knowledge and experience of charity law and regulation and you know how charities actually work. Um, that's been a big a big lack in the last couple of appointments. Yeah. Um, which and and sort of linked to that, I would like to see 
somebody who wasn't kind of from the world of politics um, or sort of adjacent to it, I want to see I want to see somebody who could kind of had some street cred when it came to being independent and mm. um, being strong enough to sort of hold the fort, I mm. guess, in the face of a lot of pressure. That's it. It's kind of is that, isn't it? We're not even asking. Well, we are for change, but it is sometimes about just holding the fort what we've got. I mean, the big lottery refund is a great example of that. Just what we've got was taken. Um, is there? I mean, we talk about it at DSC a lot, and uh, I'm not an, an avid uh, follower of politics, but I get my fair share from you and, and Deborah. Um, and it does tend to have a feeling that charities maybe are on this sort of. I won't want to say like a negative decline in, in kind of the government thinking, but it does have this kind of negative feeling around it. And are there any signs that amongst the next generation of politicians that potentially charities may be considered in a more positive manner? I think I'd probably differentiate between types of politicians. So not by their party affiliation, but by their ambition. I think a lot of backbench MPs are, you know, whatever party they're in, they are concerned about what happens to charities and what charities are doing, particularly in their local constituency. The trouble that there tends to be is when we're dealing with people who are, you know, ministers are, are kind of have ambitions to be in power in a particular government. Mm. Um, and as far as that goes, we've kind of seen a steady sort of erosion over the last 10 years in particular of, I think, consciousness, understanding, you know, sort of infrastructure within government to make partnership between charity sector and government work. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just a fact, you know, it just hasn't been prioritized and it's, it's kind of been downgraded. Um, and we're working to change that. You mentioned our kind of colleagues and friends and other infrastructure organizations, organizations with, which serve the charity sector. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that's been happening behind the scenes. It's just very, difficult environment to um, make change at the moment. Um, we, we know there are some key things that, that we're working on. So we know that the relationship between kind of the charity leadership and this current government is not what it should be or could be. And there's, exactly, yeah. there's kind of concrete, concrete work happening to, to try to improve that, but it is sort of facing a lot of headwinds. Mm. Um, we also know that there's a lot that the charity sector needs to do itself, um, which isn't necessarily or government's responsibility or at all, um, yeah. whether you're talking about kind of various types of diversity yeah. um, or sort of behaviors and values in the sector matching up. Um, and then we know that there's clearly a kind of evidence gap uh, and a disconnect between sort of... <laughs> the extensiveness to the charity sector in the UK and various levels of central government really not understanding uh, what that is or what value it has. Um, we're talking about a sector that has, you know, millions and millions of, of workers, mm. um, hundreds of thousands of organizations is a significant kind of part of the economy. Um, but sort of people in the treasury in particular don't sort of really understand or recognize that the significance of that so um there's a lot of work happening to try to to close that gap that's it isn't it and 
I think it's easy to get bogged down in some of the negative things as well, but there is a lot of positive and ten, things do tend to be, be on the up. And uh, yeah, no, they're good signs, um, good signs going forward. So looking across the pond then, so where you where you're from, Jay, where are you from in America? I'm, I grew up in a place called Oregon uh, on the West Coast, a small town. I would um, love to go to Oregon, yeah. It's nice. Yeah, no, it seems <laughs> to be lovely. The Pacific Northwest, yeah. Um, Very rainy. Very rainy. I love the rain. Yeah. <laughs> so, what about the charity sector in the in the US though? Uh, is the when you compare them, how how are they different? It's a good question because my whole career really has been in this country, so I know a lot less about how charity works in the US. But I mean, there there are major differences. Um, and what one thing I observe always you know, kind of over many years, having been from one place and working in the other is that, that things tend to get sort of trans, transplanted, mm. um, whether it's sort of certain policy initiatives or kind of debates. And they don't always scan from the kind of American English to the British English. And we sort of think that they will, that they will work. Um, I mean, can give examples of that, but the, you know, there's some major differences. If you think of, uh, I mean, for one, for one thing, the U.S. is a is sort of federal system, and it's a huge country. So, there, the there's nothing comparable really to the kind of for, the sort of form of ch charity regulation we have in this country. Um, there are, if you, if you're a sort of nonprofit, as it's called, you you're kind of financially regulated by the IRS, which in this in this country would be the equivalent of the kind of HMRC. Yeah. And then your state might also have various kind of rules and laws about what you can and can't do. But I'd say, generally speaking, they're much more permissive and there's a lot more sort of bleeding into the world of politics and also religion mm. um, than there might be in this country. So tons of tons of sort of charitable activity in the U.S., um, is actually kind of political activity and it, I don't think it would be legal in this country. Mm. Um, is it like raising funds for political campaigns? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot more dis distinctions in, in the kind of financial rules about, you know, if, if you can get sort of charity tax benefits, depending on what you're doing and are you trying to influence politicians and that kind of stuff. Mm. I mean, the role of the church is also huge or religion in general. I think it's probably even bigger than it is in this country. So a lot of giving happens um, mm. via churches. And a lot of it happens like really locally, which I think is also the, the case here. Yeah. Um, we, we talk about that in the fundraising, just that resilience of having the local community funding local projects. Yeah. Yeah. So what about DSC then? You said you've been here for 18 years. Why have you stayed here all these all this time, Jay? Um, I think... There's lots of reasons. I, I think it's a great organization, and uh, I'm. It's been great for me. Um, I think it's a really kind of progressive organization, and in terms of its um, how it treats its staff, um, and particularly for me, having had a young family, kind of throughout those 18 years, it's been crucial. Um, but also, I just believe in the work, and I believe in what we do. Um, I, I, I kind of. I've been worked in a lot of different sort of sectors before kind of landing here and the alignment between the values and the sort of day job is really meaningful for me. Um, 
and yeah i've just had sort of opportunities to kind of it, it's a place that will um you will have opportunities to kind of grow and get different skills and di get different knowledge and you know that's down to the to the leadership really um and deborah's leadership in particular um you, you know going back to the you mentioned at the beginning kind of like what what have my jobs been well and you know there's a sort of ethos i think of give it a shot and we'll see how you do and then you know kind of make a success of it and if learn the skills as well yeah learn kind of a lot of learning on the job as well as you know sort of formal training so um all of that has kind of kept me around nice. i'm not sure about another 18 years though but we'll see <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if someone managed the, the 36. We're getting a few people close. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's been a, yeah, they, they totally do recognize the talent, don't they? It's nice to see that. And I think one thing I've learned from DSC is that about values and looking for people to join the team that are a value fit rather than just being able to do the job as well. And that's it. You can teach people any job, but uh, yeah. we bring the right people on and we can teach them anything. Yeah, um, that's so important. So you said you worked in other sectors. If you didn't work in the charity sector, is there another job or, or sector or role you'd like to do? I don't know. I think it would it would probably depend on what the work was rather than the institution. I mean, you know, I, I doubt I would go back to the private sector unless it was something really that I was really interested in. I mean, I, I'm quite interested in sort of like green technology and things like that. So I might go that direction. Um, but I do it's sort of my skill set, I kind of think lends itself to um, the sector that I'm in now, you know, mm -hmm. possibly, I, I, I mean, I've been in academia before, possibly I could go back into that at some point. Um, possibly I could, it's more likely if I, if I left DSC, I would go to do some, you know, kind of run a more uh, not an infrastructure organization, but a, a something that I kind of believed in um, or was really interested in. Nice. Great. Um, so, yeah, Jay, is there anything else you, what you wanted to say to the listeners today? Well, we've got you here. Not really. Thanks for listening. I hope we found it interesting. Perfect. No, it's, it's really great to have a deeper insight into the side of research and also policy as, as well. So thank you for coming. All right. Thanks, George. Cheers, Jay. Thank you for watching Charity Questions by the Directory of Social Change. So this is the podcast where we bring charity experts to you and we ask them the questions that you provide us via social media. So if you want to get involved, please check out the Directory of Social Change on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn. And of course, to hear more about this content and to learn more about Charity Questions, subscribe to our YouTube channel now and of course, like this video to let us know if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for watching. Cheers.